Hey there, friend. It's Tracy, and we're about to spill some tea. Join with me this week as we start our first series, The Shortest Books of the Bible. And even though this first episode isn't going to be one of the top five shortest books of the Bible, it's still only four chapters long, but there is a lot of stuff happening in it. So we're going to dive right in to Jonah. Okay, so let's get to know Jonah. Well, first of all, who who was Jonah? Jonah was a prophet, and in the text, he's actually mentioned first in 2 Kings chapter 14, very, very briefly. Jonah was a prophet in the time of Jeroboam II. Is Jeroboam, he was one of the worst kings of Israel. You'll have to read on him in 2 Kings. It's pretty terrible things. He's a prophet, but he's not the most obedient prophet. And we're going to find that out as we jump into chapter one in the book of Jonah. So we start off by the Lord gives him a message. He says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation, by the way. But um, so when he says great city of Nineveh, back in the day, Nineveh, uh, God even says it at the end of this book. He said it's about 120,000 people, which is a massive amount of people in these days. So it is a very big city. So Jonah doesn't even talk back to God at this point that we know of. He just gets up and he flees the other direction. So Nineveh is over this way. Okay. If you can see me pointing my arm and Jonah goes the opposite direction to run away from God. He goes and he finds a ship out of Joppa, uh, leaving for Tarshish. And he buys a ticket and he goes on board and he's trying to run away from God. So God obviously can see this and he throws this huge fit on the ocean. There's this massive storm. Jonah is down in the bottom of the ship. Okay. He's cool. He's snoozing. He's taking a good old nap. And now the mariners or the the guys working on the boat, they are pagans. They are not uh, Jewish. That should be noted. And these guys are like, okay, something's up, something's going on. So they decide to ask, you know, their gods by throwing lots, casting lots, or taking a gamble. It's like whatever this says it is. Who done it? Who's responsible for this huge torrential storm that we had no inclination was coming? And the lots fall on Jonah, who's peacefully snoozing down below. So they go down, they grab him, they pull him up, and they're like, okay. So we find out that this is because of you, what's going on. And Jonah just says, yeah, it's my fault. And they're like, well, how can we fix this? What's going on? Pray to your God or whatever. And he's like, no, no. The only thing that you guys can really just do is just throw me overboard and just then, then the storm is going to calm down. So I should tell you at this point that Jonah is kind of suicidal. It's a little sad, but it's true. Like, He is so not wanting to go to Nineveh so bad that he's like, just kill me. He does this multiple times. Just kill me. Kill me now. Take take me out of my misery. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. I'd rather die than put you guys through this. So he's trying to be big and do self-sacrifice, but 
God sees through that, right? Okay, so instead of immediately throwing Jonah overboard and into the, the crazed sea, they actually row harder to try to get the ship to dry land. But of course, the stormy sea, it was too violent for them and, and, and they just couldn't make it. So then they cried out to the Lord because Jonah had had announced that he was a Hebrew. So they prayed to his God, oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin. And don't hold us responsible for his death. They were like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to toss him overboard. Please, his blood is not on our hands. They say, oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for your own good reasons. They're like, it's for you to understand, not us. And they picked him up and they threw him into the raging sea. And of course, just like Jonah predicted, the storm stopped immediately. So the sailors were completely baffled. They were excited. They, they couldn't believe it. So they instantly started offering sacrifice and they vowed to serve the Lord. So look, hey, look, the prophet was supposed to go to Nineveh to save these people or tell them that, hey, God's about to annihilate you if you don't straighten up and ended up saving these sailors along the way. See, so God, God uses him for good, right? Okay. So now Jonah is floating in the sea. Well, he's, yeah, he's floating around in the ocean and God appoints a great fish. Now I know when you hear, uh, being, everybody says Jonah and the whale, right? Like that's our kids, like Bible stories, Sunday school stories is Jonah and the whale. And he's, when you picture a man sitting inside a whale or getting swallowed by a whale, what do you picture? Pinocchio, right? Where Geppetto is in there and he's on this makeshift little raft and there's like, it's like a living room in there. They've got all these convenient things floating around, right? I'm pretty sure that, um, all, first of all, the Bible only says great fish and, um, it's, a it's, can't be comfortable. You're in the belly of this thing, right? It's probably going to be cramped. That's the way I picture it now that I'm reading more into it. And he was inside this fish for three days. So if misery had a name, I think living inside of living inside of a fish for three days with the smell and the the wetness and the crampiness, it's going to be pretty miserable. Okay. So then we move on to chapter two and Jonah starts praying. He's kind of a sarcastic guy. Not only is he like a little toddler throwing a fit. I don't want to go. I'm going to go the opposite direction without even consulting you. And now he's praying, though it doesn't seem too super sincere. So it says in verse one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the from inside the fish. He says, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead. And Lord, you heard me. I'm going to stop here. So the original text where he says, I called to you from the land of the dead. Uh, he says, Sheol. And I, I don't know if I'm butchering that, but it's Hebrew for the grave or home of the deceased. He's calling the belly of the fish his grave. So this is point number two where we see Jonah's like, just kill me. I'm going to die. This is, it's better to be dead. And Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. First of all, this is where it's sarcastic because he's blaming God for him running away from God's presence. 
because he threw a hissy fit because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He apparently has a really bad, like he just doesn't like Gentiles apparently. And he really doesn't like the Ninevites for some reason. And then he goes on to say, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. Super dramatic, right? He's painting this picture of God just doing this to him, and he's not taking any of the blame for himself. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all of my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. So, sure, I'm sure, you know, I wasn't back there in the day, but it's just the way that Jonah is, the he just seems like a really sarcastic guy. And, and just like I said, like a toddler throwing a fit, he doesn't want to go. So, Oh God, you saved me. All these dramatic things happen. And then you saved me by letting a fish swallow me. Gee, thanks. I promise I'm going to do better. Like that's the way I read his voice because in reading this through over and over and over again and dissecting it, that's just what I hear. I hear like my eight-year-old like, oh, gee, mom, thanks. You saved me by putting a Band-Aid on this boo-boo. Wow, I feel all so much better. Now, when my eight-year-old was like three, a Band-Aid legitimately made her feel like she was all better. Like she just took a trip to the ER and I am nurse mommy and I fixed her up and she's good to go. <laughs> And now at eight, she's going to be like, wow, thanks, mom. You got some drugs to help this make, you know, Tylenol or anything to make the pain stop because a Band-Aid doesn't magically make the pain stop anymore. So that's that's kind of the voice that I hear when Jonah goes into that. So in chapter three, Jonah is on the beach and he finally trudgingly, begrudgingly goes to Nineveh. And in verse one, we say the, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So this time Jonah obeys and he goes to Nineveh and it says it's a city so large that it takes three days to see it all. That means going from one end to the other. It's a three-day trip. So on the day that Jonah entered the city, he he literally does the bare minimum here. He's like, hey, 40 days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. All right, I'm out. <laughs> That's literally his sermon. 40 days from now and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. He doesn't give any reason why. He doesn't tell them how they can fix it or how they can avoid destruction and total annihilation because we know that God's powerful and he's done it before and he's going to do it again if he says he's going to. But the people, but see, this is how God works. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap or sackcloth to show their sorrow. So they got rid of any any kind of nice finery, including clothing, how their hair was done. They fasted. They didn't eat or drink. And they just dressed themselves in sackcloth, just the bare minimum to cover, you know, their bodies. 
And then the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying. He stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap sackcloth and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent in this decree throughout the city. He said, no one, not even the animals, not your cows from your herds and your flocks. No one can eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, which is the sackcloth. And everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So again, this is how amazing God is. He tells, he gives Jonah simple instructions. Now God knows all. So he probably, knowing God, he knew that Jonah was going to be like, nah, bro, I'm out and go the opposite way and head towards Tarshish. And he saved a whole boatload of mariners who were pagans before, okay, and they're now worshiping God. And then he literally walks in to Nineveh and he like gets on this, I imagine like this little dusty crate. He just sees in the middle of the marketplace. He's like, yo, 40 days, get your stuff. He doesn't even say get your act together. 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And through those words, I imagine that's what Jonah said. But what God was saying through Jonah, since he was a prophet, was, Repent now, stop doing your sins, you know, worship me and only me, stop worshiping your false idols and your false gods, and it'll be fine. So even through Jonas, what is that, five-word sermon, he, God reaches the hearts of these people, and even the king, who was like the king of the city of sin, basically, was like, uh-uh, nope, we're 180 this, we're not doing this anymore. So he... And through his little tiny sermon, this whole great city, remember how big this place is. It takes three whole days just to walk from one end to the other, not all around it, one end to the other. And then um, at the end of chapter three, it says, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the the destruction he had threatened. So you think that Jonah would be like, oh, well, that was easy you know, clap his hands together, get the dust off his sandals, head out and go back wherever he wanted to go, right? No, wrong. Jonah's going to throw a little temper tantrum again here in chapter four. It's it's titled Jonah's anger at the Lord's mercy. So this change of plans in verse one greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. He literally says that in verse 3, chapter 4. Just kill me now, Lord. Third time. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Now remember. Back in Second Kings, he d- he made another prediction to the king, and the, another prophet Amos came along, and God was like, "No, tell that guy that I said, nope, that's not going to happen. You're going to be destroyed." <laughs> so this would be the second time that we can see in the Bible that his prediction is being squandered. So he mad, he big mad, right? And so. The Lord replies, is it right for you to be angry about this? And then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So I just pictured Jonah, you know, on the side of this hill, just moping and pouting. And he's like, 
I wonder if he's actually going to destroy it or not. Probably not because uh, I came all this way, got eaten by fish, lived in there for three days. Oh my gosh, here I am. That was so easy. And now you're going to change your mind, God, because he did the bare minimum and God still achieved what he wanted to achieve. It's fun. Okay. So the Lord God being as merciful and compassionate as he is, he arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. This beautiful little plant just providing a nice shade. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the harsh sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Another translation actually says, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. That was in the English Standard Version. So back to the NLT. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and for the fourth time now wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Well, yeah, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And that's where it ends. I'm going to go back to the English Standard version of this. It's I love how God ends this in this translation. So he asks, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah says, well, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? Wow. And also much cattle. I love that he includes the cattle and the cows and the animals in this because that was something that the king was explicitly specific about. He's like, not you, not your cow. Nobody eats, nobody drinks. Everybody dresses in sackcloth. Um, I just think that that's such a relevant piece that God includes in this. Now, Jonah doesn't retort, at least not in the book, not in the Bible, not that what we read because, well, he's pitched a fit the entire four chapters and uh, God just cuts him off right there because that's where the book cuts off. I just love that you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. How many times, let's be honest, I want to convict you a little bit. I know first full episode and I'm going to convict you. How many times have you been given something or been blessed with something that you maybe weren't too terribly excited about, but you did nothing for it? It's like a job, okay? They call it a, a job. It's work. It's not called happy fun time. It's called work. So you get this job and it pays okay. It pays the bills, but it's not, you know, it's crazy hours. It's insane amount of work. And it's just, you didn't ask for it. It's not one that you went out and actively pursued and looked for or interviewed at a dozen different companies to land this specific job. No, it's just one that God blessed you with and just like landed straight in your lap. Have you ever had a moment where you're just like, you know, I just, I deserve so much better than this. I kind of want to die. I kind of just kill me now. Oh my gosh. Like we're all a little dramatic, little toddler state 
attitude mentalities at times. Okay. None of us is so holier than now that we don't have these moments of weakness and just a temper tantrum. But I'm pretty sure that if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, that you're not like, God, just kill me now. This is terrible. Like you're not overly dramatic and playing it out like that. You're not blaming God for the job. You're just blaming. You're just complaining about the job. But God says you didn't do anything for it. You, di you didn't work for it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't water it. You just enjoyed it for what it produced. Now the plant produced shade and let's just stay with the same example. The job produced an income enough to keep you afloat. And so let's just say in that same breath, like a month later, a month goes by or six months go by or a year goes by and that job just is taken out from under you. Like the, the position is eliminated or COVID happens or there's a layoff and then you lose it. And then you're even more mad because you lost the blessing that you had in the first place or you're equally as mad. It's like, it's, it seems like we can learn a lot from Jonah in that what not to do. Okay. So if God instructs you to do something, if he's put something on your heart, Take it from me personally, it does no, and take it from Jonah, it does no good to tell him no or to argue with him. He's always going to get his way regardless of our response. But God can do infinitely more with us if we don't fight him on it, right? Now, um, Jonah did, he was proven wrong. And I, I believe that God has a sense of humor because of what we see happen in chapter one where the sailors get saved and they start, they get, they turn over from their pagan ways and worship God only. I just think that's so funny. I, I, I think personally, this is, you know, this is just based off of my studies is that our God has a awesome sense of humor and he's a little bit, a little bit cynical. I mean, not cynical. He's a little bit sarcastic. He just kind of socks it to Jonah in this. So Jonah is, the, I love the book of Jonah. It's when you read it all, when you just read it through, it's like, okay, this guy doesn't want to go to Nineveh, get swallowed by a whale, blah, blah, blah. But when you break it down and you see what God does through this prophet, who is kind of a poor prophet, but he's a prophet appointed nonetheless. Imagine what God can do you do through you when you follow through and obey. So we can learn a lot from Jonah on adjustment of attitude could possibly uh, prove a little more fruitful, that it's not nice to tell God that you wish to die and that everything would be better if you were dead because it's just not true. God proved to Jonah multiple times that he could still use him even in his bad attitude. It would have just been so much easier if Jonah did what he was appointed to do the first time with maybe a little less attitude and a little more effort. Uh, but no matter what kind of attitude or shade we might throw at God about anything, he's still God and he's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish just for our benefit. It's probably best to go with the flow. So I hope that you enjoyed learning a little bit more about Jonah and kind of breaking down this small book 
Because it does have a lot of goodiness into it. And, and it's... Because it does have a lot of goodies in it. And it's comical. I could actually see this as a comic strip. It just... It's a mood lightener, in all honesty, for me. And I might be a weird one who's, who, you know, for saying that. But that's what I see. So thank you again so much for listening in. And uh, before you go, I just want to say a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, uh, for all the days that you have planned and written out for us, God. We thank you for the plans that you have for us, God, and for using us as tools to achieve your purpose, God. We thank you for the people who are going to be saved by listening to this or for the hearts that are going to be changed and touched uh, by what you have put on my heart. And God, I just ask that you bless this person who's listening right now. God, may your favor fall on them and may your peace overwhelm them. I hope that they have a blessed week and I hope that they just see your goodness in everything that they I pray that they see your goodness in this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you again. And we'll see you next time.